Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. Whoa, we have made it to the end of our second series. I cannot believe it. I am actively in shock. Yeah, I'm pretty floored by this. That's crazy. Wow, we have worked our way twice through the Star Trek franchise. First, talking about the pilots of each series. Now we have just about finished talking about the family relationships in every series. And Rihanna, what are we doing next? Our next series is on love and affection. We will be going through every Star Trek series talking about how the crew members interact and show each other love and show each other affection and how people bond as a crew. And we wanted to do this series as sort of our love letter to you guys and to say that things may be hard here in 2021, but... We are here to give you a little love and to show you that there is still love out there. And our love and affection series will be occurring right around Valentine's Day too. So we thought that it was a perfect time to shower you with love a little bit. Yeah. Also, I'm a little frustrated because the reason we chose this whole series was because we had a Klingon battle. Rihanna and I had a trivia battle about Star Trek on our Patreon feed, and Rihanna won by one point, and so she got to choose love and affection. I mean, of course, I'm not mad to talk about the love and affection in Star Trek. I'm just mad that I didn't get to choose. (laughs) (laughs) Ashlyn will be choosing our following series after we finish Love and Affection, but we will not tell you that yet because spoilers. That would be too easy if we just told you. Oh, absolutely. You you gotta have some mystery in your life. I mean, there's not enough mystery in 2021, so... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we just wanted to provide you with a little more, so you're welcome. (laughs) If you want to hear how Rihanna beat me and why it was so close, go to our Patreon. It is patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. Any amount per month will get you access to those trivia episodes. I'm just so proud of us. We started this podcast in 2020 after having been talking about it for a couple months. You know, we've been watching Star Trek now for about 12 years together. I love taking the Star Trek journey with you. And it's so fun for us to explore different themes and to just really get to see a different side of Star Trek. That's something I've enjoyed so much about this family series is getting to really understand our characters in a deeper way, even for characters like in Lower Decks, which I never thought I would talk so seriously as I will in this episode. We have also been reviewing every week all the episodes of season one of Lower Deck, also on our Patreon. Wow, you guys are really missing out if you're not on our Patreon. It's been really fun to talk about each episode over there, and so I'm very excited to talk more specifically about characters today. Specifically, there's really only Mariner we can talk about with her family, her and Captain Freeman. 
we don't really know about any other family for anybody else. So this will be kind of a short one today, but exciting nonetheless. Yeah, we hope to see more family from our characters in season two of Lower Decks, which I'm so jealous that everyone in the UK is getting it, but also very happy for them. So hopefully we'll get it soon. To be fair, they're not getting season two. They're just getting Lower Decks for the first time. Oh, you're right. That's amazing. If they were getting season two before us, I would have to fly there. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, disobey COVID restrictions. (laughs) Just to see Lower Decks. Go on a boat, I think, probably. (laughs) Yeah, it would just be a long journey to watch Lower Decks, but worth it. (laughs) I mean, it was a long road getting from there to here, so. Oh my, get out of here, Riker. Get out of here. (laughs) Before we jump in, Rihanna, what was your random Star Trek thought of the week? So as I was checking out some of these Lower Decks episodes through a family lens, I was also just enjoying the episodes as we went along. And I noticed, you know, that every time, of course, the ship gets demolished or crippled or whatever, they take it to a space dock to get it repaired. And I just find these places so cool. I think about how amazing it is. I mean, we have similar repair areas, even at the International Space Station right now, not to the extent, of course, we're not making flagships and all of that right now. But I think it's so cool to see that repairs can get done in space like that and think about what's a day in a life like for people on those star bases that spend their entire day fixing crippled starships. It's got to be a deep level love for First of all, getting to do spacewalks every day, doing an EVA, which would be so cool. But also, I just, you know, I'm wondering, like, how fun of a career this would be. But you'd have to be a very particular person to like it, I think. Like, it'd have to be someone like Scotty, who just loves the inner workings of ships. But I think even Scotty would prefer to be inside the ship rather than outside doing whole repairs. But yeah, I just find these really interesting. It'd be cool to see more of how they evolve over the years, you know, because we see in Discovery, even, that they have little worker bots that, like, come out out from the top of the hole and can help repair damage. And so I wonder if they use a lot of those or if back in the Archer days, they just were all doing EVAs, spending literal months on end repairing starships. I don't know. I just find it really cool and an interesting facet of Star Trek that we don't really explore. We just see these long shots of the Enterprise or the Cerritos getting repaired, you know, the 18 hour shot (laughs) feeling like in motion picture watching the Enterprise pretty much just hanging out in space dock. Yeah, I love that thought. It made me think about in the 2009 movie, how Kirk rides up on his motorcycle to the place in Iowa where they're building the Enterprise. And I know it's alternate timeline, so who knows if it's really realistic to the Prime Universe, but Mm -hmm. I am curious in Star Trek history, was the Enterprise actually built in Iowa and was it built on the ground? Mm -hmm. I guess they have to start somewhere, but I kind of imagined by the TOS era, they would be building ships in space at that point, like they are with Discovery. But who knows? I mean, the Enterprise was around a lot longer than we think. I assume Pike was its maiden captain, but we don't actually know that, I don't think. Yeah, that's so true. And I think in 2009, in the shuttle where Kirk met McCoy, they then saw the rest it being built. So I think maybe parts were built in Iowa and then brought up is my guess, because as we saw in Star Trek Beyond and in many other parts of the show, it's really hard to take off from the ground. <laughs> it's hard to get a starship literally like going from the ground because obviously you have so much gravity to work with. So it makes sense that they would build most of it in space. But yeah, I wonder like how much is built on the ground versus how much is 
done in space dock. Also, another question. You said EVA. What does that mean? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm using my NASA terms. Okay, so an EVA is an extravehicular activity. Essentially, it's such a spacewalk. And so it's what astronauts on any sort of mission so far, NASA, SpaceX, what have you, especially in ISS, when they go out to do repairs on the station, or it's when they get into their EVA suits, the big suits, of course, with the helmets and everything. I don't know if they just stick to calling it spacewalks in Star Trek. I never hear them call them EVAs, but I like to call them that because that's the origin of it. (laughs) Yeah, it makes sense. It's like in the movie Gravity, where they they really had some trouble. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you just brought up that movie to me. That was a good movie. It was a good movie, but there's just so many other ones. A great director. There's yeah, I mean that was a good movie, but there's so many better instances of EVAs like The Martian. Ashlyn, what is your random Star Trek thought this week? Well, to be honest, I've had this random Star Trek thought for a couple weeks now, and I haven't found a solution to it. I don't know my answer, and I haven't really Googled it either, so maybe there is an answer. But I'm wondering, how personal are personal logs? Because even in this last episode of Lower Decks, we know that Boimler has pulled logs from all the officers to create an accurate representation of them on the holodeck. Can anyone access like the captain's personal log or first officers? Is it anyone on the ship? Can maybe like someone on the Titan not access those logs? There are several episodes in The Next Generation even where Picard is watching a dead captain's personal logs, especially in the episode Contagion I was just watching the other day. And he's watching the logs to get more information about what happened to their ship. But they're personal. I mean, they're really personal logs. I don't know. Do you have any idea about this? I have no idea. This is an amazing question and a great Star Trek thought of the week. I have always wondered that too. I feel like I would not be willing to divulge very personal information if I knew that a random ensign in the lower decks could read it someday. I think that giving any log, you know that it's going to go to Starfleet eventually, regardless of if your personal logs get sent right to the Admiralty. I don't know. I mean, of course, mission logs do, and those go into some sort of archive, but I'm sure the personal logs also have their own separate archive. And so I think maybe it depends on how personal you want to get in your personal log I think I always thought of it as more of a reference for yourself and that it was like locked to you but now that Boimler can get into it I feel like anyone could I would definitely not want to deal with that I just feel like if it isn't truly a personal log like a diary entry it kind of defeats the purpose maybe there's an even deeper level of logs like secret logs like Captain's secret log I had a nice shower today you know (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Section 31 has many secret logs. Well, and maybe now I understand Cisco even deeper in the pale moonlight when he's making the personal log. He's literally laying it all on the line like, I lied to the Cardassian. And yeah, then, but then he goes delete recording. Yeah, so. then he deletes the recording. So maybe we should just all make like Cisco and delete our personal logs <laughs> after getting it out, you know? Yeah, yeah. He just needed to talk it through. I think that there are different types of logs for different things. Like you were saying, like a mission log, there's got to be like a report log. And then I think it is interesting. And we even see this in NASA, you know, where they'll film videos of themselves, like up at the International Space Station and things like that. And I have to imagine that they are making some kind of notes about how they're doing personally, because it is good for science. Like, oh, Oh, I I threw up today because of I'm space sick or whatever. 
As far as I know, the International Space Station astronauts, because I follow a lot of them on Instagram, (laughs) they do have reports that they need to send to the different medical people on the ground. So a lot of that is covered. Their bodies are really monitored because being in space that long, you have to completely adjust to the lack of gravity and your muscles will atrophy if you don't literally work out for like an hour at least every day. Mm -hmm. So people who are there for long term, they definitely do keep records of their health. And so I wonder, they probably do for their mental health too, because it would be really interesting to see how space isolates you or makes you feel or like if you are doing great. Yeah, my hope is that they're personal until they die and then you can release them to whoever you want. But I mean, who knows? Maybe anyone could just hack right in. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and on top of that, I also wondered, is it always a video? Can it just be recording? Because I feel like sometimes it is a video, but I feel like that's only for the enjoyment of the viewers of Star Trek because I wouldn't want a video of me every time. I would just want a voice recording. Well, I think I remember instances where Picard is making a personal log and he's just walking around the room talking or or even yeah. purpose that. I think it's only a video if they're like sitting in front of their computer. <laughs> yeah. My loves. Thanks. That was great. It's fun to have these little thoughts. Let's go. Let's talk about the family in Lower Decks. Yes, let's get into it. Like Ashlyn said, we only really have one actual family unit. But before we jump into Mariner and Captain Freeman, I thought that we should briefly talk about Badgie and Rutherford because technically they are a family. <laughs> yeah, I was actually hoping we would talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> because we need to unpack this a little bit just because it's a crazy relationship between creator and monster, <laughs> shall I say. <laughs> very Frankenstein vibes here that Rutherford created Badgie as a program to help with simple training programs. But Badgie is super corrupt and went on a rampage (laughs) in one of our episodes. So why does Badgie want to kill Rutherford? (laughs) At least what he says a lot is he's like, you're my father, you created me, and so he has to die for it. I don't really understand the motivation here. I think it's him maybe wanting to be better than Rutherford. Also, maybe it's just because he's purely chaotic evil, and so he enjoys the act of murder and violence. (laughs) Um, What do you think? I think that Badgie feels the existential void of being sentient, and he wants to kill Rutherford for it. I think that's absolutely correct. (laughs) I hate, and it's so scary when he's like, father, you know? (laughs) Yeah, terrifying. And I wonder how Rutherford feels about his creation. Does he stay up at night thinking about how his son wants to kill him? Like if the safety protocols are turned off? And we actually do see in this last episode, Rutherford turns off the safety protocols so that Badgie can be corrupt enough to make viruses to send into the ship. But turns out that Badgie only made him so that he could blow up Rutherford so that he could finally kill his father once and for all. And it's only because of Lieutenant Shacks that Rutherford survives, but he was very close to killing Rutherford. And so, I mean, Rutherford now sadly has some memory loss, but I'm sure he'll regain his memories of Badgie if he's gonna feel bad that he created a son who hates him so much. 
I'm wondering if we're going to have a little bit of a loop here because I think Badgie was destroyed in the explosion, but yeah. because Rutherford lost his memories, I think he might create Badgie again. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, it would be this cycle. Like, yeah, yeah. Just keep, he keeps creating them. Badgie keeps trying to kill him. Rutherford is just always trying to improve himself and creating Badgie, I think, is unfortunately a part of that. <laughs> Their destinies are entwined. (laughs) Yes. I love Jack McBriar voicing Badgie. I mean, I just have to say, fantastic actor. I love him on 30 Rock. Kenneth has always been one of my favorite characters. Uh, So good. I love hearing him here. He does a great job, even if he's only in an episode for a little bit. Yeah. He he always steals the show. I mean, completely. Like everyone else is second to him. (laughs) Yeah. Badgie is king. And I'm scared of what what he's gonna do if he comes back yeah badgie's absolutely evil i think one of my favorite parts is in this finale episode rutherford activates him and then he turns off the safety protocols and badgie's like oh i've already made three viruses to attack the chip and rutherford's like you monitoring comms and badgie's like i'm always monitoring comms <laughs> Right? Oh, that is so funny. And it makes me think like Badgie's probably reading Rutherford's personal logs too. Oh, Badgie is up everywhere where you don't want him to be. Yeah. Yeah. Badgie <laughs> knows too much. <laughs> He's too powerful. Like maybe it's good that he hopefully died in the explosion. But <laughs> yeah, so that's about all we get for Rutherford and his family unit. <laughs> yeah. And again, like I said, I hope we get more of their family an understanding of people's outside family soon, but we don't hear anything about Tendi or Boimler or any of the bridge crew even. Yeah, no Ransom, no Dr. Tana, the cat doctor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh wow so shacks so here we go let's do mariner and captain freeman yeah there's actually some juicy family moments here of course from our first episode second contact is when we learn that mariner is captain freeman's daughter and we only learn this because of the last like five minutes of the episode where captain freeman asked boimler to go and pretty much spy on Mariner and to make sure that she's staying in line. And then Captain Freeman has a great hilarious call with her husband and Mariner's dad, who's an admiral. And she's like, I can't deal with her. Like she needs to get off this ship. And he's like, we've already transferred her like a bunch of times. So I'm wondering, do you think her dad was the one transferring her all the time? Or do you think that she has just jumped around from ship to ship because she kept messing up? And do you think that he transferred her to the Cerritos to try to see if Captain Freeman could get a hold on her? I wish we had more interaction between Mariner and her dad because I don't really understand their relationship. I'm not sure if it's as rocky as Mariner's is with her mom, but the vibe I get is that Captain Freeman and her husband are on the same page about Mariner. Mariner even says a couple times in the episode Crisis Point, she's watching over me the only way she knows how to in a beeped up overbearing way. I guess we have to break it down a little bit. In that episode, episode, Mariner also says, she's like yelling at her mom, you've been a jerk since I was eight. Why do you have to be so hard on me? Mm -hmm. And so I think this is a classic scenario where you have two incredibly smart and dedicated and fantastic, amazing Starfleet parents. 
and they're putting her under immense pressure to become better than themselves. And they're already an admiral and a captain. Serving aboard important ships, I mean, the Cerritos, as much as they like to underplay it, you know, I mean, second contact is something, you know, and yeah. the Cerritos goes out and does some pretty important stuff. So it seems like they've been pushing Mariner so hard since she was really young and she's so over it you know she's a military brat she's a starfleet brat she knows the ins and outs every regulation about starfleet that she can break the rules it's like that saying before you break the rules you have to know them i didn't say yeah that right. I something know. like that yeah, yeah but it's, it's that sense she's able to weasel her way in and out of all these situations because she was living with them for her whole life and Clearly, she has five years or more of experience under her belt, and yet she's back down to being an ensign. I think they are so embarrassed by her goofing around that they decided mutually to put her with her mom in the hopes that Captain Freeman could corral her a little bit. I don't know. What do you think, Rihanna? That's exactly what I thought. I thought that it was sort of their last ditch attempt to get Mariner into the fold and to stop her from messing up on all these other ships. And I think it's an interesting choice because it's not working, clearly. Like Mariner is rebelling as much as ever. And also in the episode Crisis Point, she says, stop treating me like I'm the bad guy the whole time, you know, in this holodeck simulation. And like, of course, she's playing the bad guy. So I think that even Captain Freeman says like, but you are the villain, like what? But I think it's interesting that she did cast herself in this villain role. And there's actually a very interesting line where she's talking to herself in this holodeck program. She's casting herself in this evil villain role because I think it's what she thinks her mom expects her to be, you know, is I'm going to be the bad guy because that's what you think of me. It's got to be really tough, I think, to be in this high pressure situation. I mean, Boimler called her Starfleet royalty. That is so much pressure, especially for someone who is not with the system, who does not want to adhere to these rules and regulations. I think that she is doing it to purposefully rebel against her parents. I think that maybe Mariner is also trying to get attention from her parents, and that's also why she's rebelling. I think that honestly, I mean, we learn at the end of the season that she really does love Starfleet. She loves the ship. She loves her friends. Maybe it's more of a because her parents pushed it on her. It's forcing her into this position of like, you must love it. And of course, then you're going to hate it and hate that like you're being forced to like something and forced into something because it sounds like that's all they cared about. They didn't really spend quality time with their daughter to get to know her to see what she actually wants to do. And so I think that a lot of this might come from just the desire for attention and to be noticed by her parents for something more than just a Starfleet officer. Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think that we are seeing Mariner happy in Starfleet for the first time at the end of the season. And we've seen her growth from Robin Hood. I think she even calls herself, she has a Robin Hood thing. Because the essence of Starfleet, I think she totally agrees with. She hates the bureaucracy of Starfleet, which I understand. And I think especially at this point when Starfleet has really expanded and grown so much they are beginning to see the limits of what they can do. You know, they understand we have to add more admirals and captains if we're going to be able to, for example, maintain relationships with these species that TOS that Kirk interacted with for the first time. Both Mariner and Captain Freeman have a discussion in the finale about how they need to do better and Starfleet needs to do better. And so I'm very, very intrigued 
by the result of this conversation, which is that Captain Freeman and Mariner decide to work together for a change. And they say, let's not tell dad. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really wondering what that kind of future could look like if they trust each other. And Mariner is kind of this undercover person, you know, who's able to go and break rules without many consequences. Yeah, I think that what you said about trust is the crux of it. I think that probably Mariner felt like her mom never trusted her to get the job done. And I think that's probably one of the most damaging parts of their relationship is that neither of them feel trust for each other because Mariner's too busy rebelling and making sure she is anti-Starfleet as much as possible. And Freeman is so busy trying to get Mariner in line and get her to be orderly and a good officer that I think they forgot along the way that we can have different methods of doing things and that's okay. Like, yes, it's probably not great that Mariner's not following all this protocol, but also like well-behaved women seldom make history. And it's not true for Freeman. I think that she's also doing her captain's duty. And so she's stuck between this crux of having to be the captain. And I think a lot of her shame comes from Mariner because she's like, you're making me look bad in front of these other admirals and captains. And that is something that's really hard for Freeman to deal with because she just wants to run a ship that is tight and controlled and very Starfleet regulation, which is great. That's how Picard runs a ship. That's how Cisco and sometimes Janeway, you know, like there's many amazing captains who can run their ship by following every protocol, but that is not how Mariner works. And sometimes you have to break protocol in order to get things done. As we see in this final episode, she's like, I need a crazy half-baked <laughs> solution here. And Mariner is the one to give it to me. And so I think that is the turning point for them when they finally realize, oh, if we utilize each other's strengths instead of looking down on them, then we can start to work together and make this an even better ship and help save more lives. I don't know. And it just helps them bond too. I totally agree. I'm wondering why they kept it a secret. Why not tell anyone? I mean, the reasons that are given is that Captain Freeman is embarrassed that her daughter is the most demoted person in the fleet. And then I think Mariner didn't want to be treated differently because of it. But I'm wondering if there's even deeper reason why. And I wonder if people had known the whole time from the very beginning when she first joined Starfleet, if they might have had a different relationship. Yeah, I do wonder that too. I think that the secrecy made it harder for them to be authentic with each other, then that probably put a strain on their relationship. I mean, I do understand not wanting to be in the spotlight because people started really like sucking up to her after they found out that she was Freeman's daughter. But I think at the same time, it's more damaging to pretend like your family doesn't exist. I mean, Mariner said Wesley Crusher (laughs) served along with his mother and it was fine. I think that's because they worked hard to cultivate a special relationship. Crusher made sure to understand Wesley and even when they had their disagreements, they talked it out. And I think that's where Mariner and Freeman need some work is they need to work on communicating with each other instead of just complaining about one another behind their backs and never talking about their issues and only talking about it through passive aggressive shouting matches. I mean, the episode Moist Vessel where Freeman promotes Mariner 
and they're working alongside each other. And then there's this huge crisis on the ship. They do work together, but the entire time her mom's being super conniving and Mariner's being really rude. And so they just cannot get in the same groove. Yes, they help save each other and it's a sweet mother-daughter moment, but it's also an undercut of her mom's telling her to use a different kind of rock to cut open this part of the ship or whatever. Because even Mariner at one point says, you treat me like a child. And then Freeman says, well, if you stop acting like a child all the time and start acting like a Starfleet officer, I wouldn't have to treat you like a child. And so this clearly is not a good way to function. And I think the secrecy is a part of that. I think that the episode Moist Vessel really shows that this is not a one-sided problem. This is both of them causing the issues in their relationship. Captain Freeman is really helicopter mom about every tiny little detail. I mean, you already said it. She was criticizing her choice of rock to dig out a tunnel with, you know, the whole time. She can't stop herself from saying, oh, you should pick one that's pointier. You should pick one that's bigger. You know, like you're not going to get us anywhere. Captain Freeman literally cannot stop criticizing Mariner. And I think that if they're going to move forward and if this teamwork relationship is actually going to work out, she's going to have to hold her tongue and she's going to have to get used to not criticizing her or maybe she thinks she's helping her. She's going to have to hold back and just let Mariner demonstrate that she can do it by herself. Mariner, on the other hand, has to stop disrespecting her mom and has to take her seriously and has to trust her. You know, we've already talked about trust a couple times, but I think Moist Vessel is really interesting because there are some parent-child relationships that are just toxic and unhealthy. And so I think we really see why it doesn't work. And it's a compulsion. I think both of them are naturally in this state of constant fighting. And so it's going to take some work to get out of that. And we see at the end of Crisis Point, where Mariner has worked through her holographic therapy, and Mm -hmm. she sees her mom in real life, she's having fun with her friends, and Captain Freeman shows up, and Mariner easily apologizes to her. And Captain Freeman is shocked, (laughs) frankly, she's really surprised that Mariner is able to be so candid with her. And so I think that they both have work to do to fix this relationship, but I'm really excited to see season two because the mother-daughter thing they have going, both badass women taking down the bad people, is really exciting to watch. And I hope that we do see even more teamwork and more growth in their relationship in the next season. Absolutely. That's so well said. And I think that Crisis Point is such an interesting character study for Mariner because we do see this hologram version of herself that Boimler created through her personal logs. So this is still a part of Mariner. Like this is clearly what she's been saying in her personal logs. And she really does defend her mother. She says, I would do anything for her while real Mariner is fighting with her. And I love the line she says, they're not casting you as the villain, you are. And I think that that's an important distinction. She's finally starting to realize, oh, my mother doesn't think I'm a villain. She's just trying to corral me, which she doesn't like being corralled. Mariner is the most free spirit you will ever meet. You know, she is very independent. She wants to do her own thing. And so when either of her parents or frankly, any higher ranking officer tells her to do something, she's immediately like, ugh, like I do not want to do this. And I think that's also why she doesn't want to rank up either is because then she has to be the person quote unquote bossing other people around. I don't think she wants to become her mom in that way because she sees how detrimental that can be. But I think this is such an important moment for her to realize you have been projecting stuff that you think 
your mom feels about you instead of just talking to her. We don't see very many captain-child relationships besides Cisco and Jake. And they're a great team because, again, they're authentic with each other. You know, and Jake will sometimes be like, Dad, you got to calm down about Cassidy and like tell her how you feel and stop being an idiot. He's willing to talk to him about that kind of stuff because they have a good relationship. And Cisco will also be like, Jake, I don't think you should be doing this right now or whatever. And they have discussions about it and they don't get into these massive fights because they are real and authentic. And I think that's something that definitely you're right. Like if they can be a badass team up and start to really communicate better, then I think their relationship can start to flourish. I'm wondering if Mariner's aversion to ranking up also has to do with her tangled feelings around her parents, because first of all, becoming a captain and an admiral is a lot to look up to, and it's a lot of work, and Mariner has seen them put in that work, so she knows how hard it is, number one. She knows what the job is like, you know, uh, and I think she's afraid that she will turn into her mom and her mom right now is someone who she doesn't even like really. And I think that's probably a huge reason why she doesn't want to rank up either. And maybe she's afraid that she won't even be able to make a name for herself. You know, there's already a Captain Freeman. (laughs) So I think she has a lot of hangups about ranking up simply because of who her parents are. And like you're saying with Jake and Cisco, if they had had an authentic relationship from the beginning, Mariner would have known the deeper intricacies about being a captain. And Mariner would have the confidence to know that she can do her own thing because she's her own person. But I think right now she's really afraid to explore that because she's still figuring out herself. Absolutely. And I think that Captain Freeman just needs to back off and give her that space to figure herself out and not be so controlling. But again, I do understand, at least as a ship's captain's perspective, she doesn't want her daughter hiding contraband all over the ship and taking shuttles without permission and doing all these crazy things that she's doing because it does break down the order of the chain of command. And that is so important in Starfleet. Like, I do understand that, but I think it just is so much more complicated because she's her daughter that it does come off as trying to control every asset of Mariner's life and that's not good for either of them so no I think it's pretty amazing that Mariner was able to find happiness on the Cerritos and I think she could have only have done it on lower decks because the rest of the ship you know her mom is everywhere she hears her mom on the comm channels all the time and making announcements and sending out reports and sending out assignments you know so it's got to be really really tough for her to be on the Cerritos and kind of be a fully functioning adult who has a ton of experience in Starfleet but being told what to do by her mom it's got to be humiliating you know for her and I think she could only have found her happiness at the very bottom of lower decks with all of these other people who treat her with respect and who look up to her and value her knowledge even if she's very unconventional i mean that's why i love mariner because she's not afraid to take risks and because she really does care about the good of the people we see her time after time breaking protocol to do something really heroic you know which is really what starfleet is actually about you know underneath all that protocol it's about helping people and mariner is very much starfleet in that way Yeah, she's Starfleet through and through in that manner. If Picard looked at her like he looked at Rios, he would see in both of them that you were Starfleet through and through. (laughs) For real. I had a question. What do you think would happen? And how do you think Captain Freeman would feel if she saw the holodeck program that Mariner created? 
oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I think if she watched the whole thing, she would like it. You know, if she saw what the Good Mariner came out and did at the end, where she saved her mom, she pulled the data and beamed away her mom before evil Mariner could get her. I think she might understand why she has to work out things this way. I do think it's a very violent way to work things out. I mean, it makes Tendi very uncomfortable. It's not the healthiest way to work on something, obviously. I don't think she would like it. I think she would be angry with her, but once she saw Mariner's changed personality, she might be okay with it. And as long as she knows and can trust Mariner that that kind of stuff is gonna stay on the holodeck and not gonna bleed into real life. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I think it would be a real eye-opener for Captain Freeman because she's finally getting to see, oh, this is the depth of my daughter's heart. Like, she really hates how much I control her. She feels like I'm a tyrant, you know, is how it sort of looks in the holodeck program. And so it might actually be good for her to see, these are some red flags. I need to start talking to my daughter and seeing what's really going on because it is a very concerning holodeck program. No matter how therapeutic it is, I think, like... There can only be so much catharsis found in shooting people and beating them up. I am glad that she does work it out with her hologram self and realizes that she doesn't have to be the villain and everything. But I think it would also make Freeman understand Mariner better. And so I kind of like show it to her. It'd be interesting if she found it because it would definitely give her insight, but it would be very concerning, I think. Yeah. <laughs> My overall consensus with them is that they're basically the same person and yeah. that's why they butt heads so much because they're so similar even small details they're really similar they're both incredibly stubborn they both think that they're doing the right thing they both will do anything to get the job done the difference of course is that mariner is acting out in all these situations i think they're just birds of a feather you know the apple fell directly underneath the tree <laughs> <laughs> literally when you're interacting with someone who's too much like you, it really can drive you crazy because you notice all of their flaws and you know they're your flaws too. And that's really hard to deal with. Yeah, and especially so, with a parent because like yes. they share so much of your DNA that you're going to be like them. But when you're so similar, like with Mariner and Freeman, it really does hit home in a different way that's got to be really hard to navigate. So I am proud that they are even trying to take that step. Yeah, me too. I noticed this when Captain Freeman thinks that the Cerritos is not up to standards. And so she implements the no breaks. Yeah, no buffer <laughs> you know? time. Yeah. yeah, no buffer time. That's a great episode. She goes crazy and she's not smart about her decisions, but it's because she wants change fast. And she wants instant change, just like Mariner is very similar. Or in Moist Vessel, when she promotes Mariner, this is a very immature, childish way to get revenge on your daughter or to teach her a lesson you know and it's something that mariner would do too give someone a practical punishment that tries to force her off the ship i see captain freeman going to these immature lengths when she's dealing with her daughter and i see mariner doing the same when she's dealing with her mom yeah yeah yeah. So true. I guess I kind of get swept up in her being a captain and forget that, yeah, like Freeman can be really immature, even if she is a captain when it comes to her daughter. I think that we all sort of change 
who we are when we're around family, even if we don't realize we're doing it. That can be a really good thing if you open up, but it can also be a bad thing if you sort of shut down and turn into this person that you used to be around them or someone who feels more defensive right away. And I think that's absolutely what's happening with them is once they are interacting with each other, they're only interacting as mother and daughter. They're not interacting as captain and subordinate. My favorite example, and we talked about this in the Next Generation family episode in part one, where we talked about Troy and Lwaxana. Troy is unrecognizable when she's with Lwaxana because she's yelling at her and she's throwing a tantrum in front of the whole senior staff, you know? Mm-hmm. And that is so not like Troy. In seven other seasons, she's only yelling at someone if it's Lwaxana. Yes, so <laughs> um, true. Maybe Will too, but mostly, <laughs> mostly Lwaxana. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's hard being around family, but... I think, you know, back to your very first question, why is Mariner on the ship with her mom? I think that in the long run, it is working. I mean, their hopes is kind of corral Mariner into being like a normal officer. But I think it's working that she's finally fitting in and finding her place among the crew. Like I've said a thousand times, Loradex is awesome. And I can't wait to see where they take us in the future and what the writing is going to be like, if it's going to continue on this serious tone or it's going to be back to usual badgy killing everyone. Hilarity. (laughs) Which is surprisingly not serious. (laughs) Yeah, somehow it's not. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. This show is fantastic. And what a way to wrap up our family series with an incredible show like Lower Decks. Yeah, I mean, it's so simple and it's lighthearted and it's seemingly a light show to watch, but you can really pull some deep things out of it. And I really appreciate their intelligence in the scripts and diligence in everything that they plan with this show. I just cannot be more thrilled to be watching Lower Decks. And it makes being alive in 2020 and 2021 really worth it. Absolutely. And to go along with that, I think that a lot of times people don't take animated shows as seriously because they may seem childish because that's what a lot of kids watch. I think that when they're done well like this, and I've seen this with Rick and Morty, I've seen this with plenty of animated shows that really work hard to make it still feel like you can connect with these characters and it make it still feel like real life. And I sometimes just imagine myself on the Cerritos and how I would probably also be in Lower Decks hanging out. Rutherford and Tendi and I would vibe so much. And like, I would actually probably be best friends with Boimler because I'm like Boimler. (laughs) So I just think that that is so fun. And I do love that aspect of Lower Decks and the fact that we can pull so much from it, even though it's a quote unquote animated show that maybe people don't take us seriously. I love that we're doing the diligence to take it seriously as we would any of our other shows. And we really, really appreciate you guys listening to this podcast and listening to this whole family series. It's been such a blast getting to talk about these families, even when it's rough and even when it's hard. It's so important to investigate families in these shows because then it makes me think more about our own family and makes me think how grateful I am to have an amazing sister like you, Ashlyn, and our amazing little sister, Gabby, and the incredible families that we have. I mean, we've said this before, Ashlyn and I have four families, and we are just so lucky to have such a wonderful big family. It was just the perfect series, I think, that we did this. 
I totally agree. And I also want to thank Trek Twitter that we're so involved with because we've made some really good virtual friends. <laughs> you guys know who you are. I think we get a lot of our base from our Twitter following and we just really appreciate you guys. There's just nothing like a Star Trek family. We talked about this with Ed last week on the pod. It's just been a blast to talk about family and now that the holiday season is over, we are moving away from family. We're moving into Valentine's Day, moving into some love. But that doesn't mean we won't still maybe mention family, won't go into as much depth. But yeah, I agree with your sentiments, Rihanna. I'm really blessed to be talking about Star Trek with you. I think we're following our destiny. We didn't even know we had by making this show. I just want to thank everyone for your support. And I also want to announce that we will be guests on a upcoming podcast from the Nerd Trek podcast. If you guys haven't heard of them, please go check them out. We will be reviewing two Next Generation episodes with them uh, from season two, Contagion and The Royale. So if you would like to hear us talk about more Star Trek, but something that's not family or pilot series, hop on over to the Nerd Trek podcast to hear that episode. It will be released here in a couple weeks. We're just so happy. We love Star Trek. It's really getting us through the year. Yeah. And what's so great about the Nerd Trek podcast is how they're structuring their podcast is they're going through every single episode of Star Trek ever created from the very beginning of the original series they even went through the animated series and now they're in next generation and it is so fun to listen to because then you really get an in-depth look at each episode no matter how bad it is no matter how good it is and so we are just so so lucky that they asked us to be guests and so please go check them out they're pretty much anywhere you can get your podcasts just like we are so Thank you all for being such great listeners, and we hope that you join us for our Love and Affection series coming up next week. We will be back to the beginning talking about the original series and where we found love and affection in it. Thank you for listening to the Dura Sisters podcast. Please tune in next week for the first episode of our new series, where Ashlyn and Rihanna will discuss love and affection in the original series. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, and Twitter. And please check our suggested watch list for our upcoming episodes. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. If you would like to become a patron and have exclusive access to our Lower Decks Star Trek trivia and future reviews of the animated series episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast and any amount per month will get you access to these awesome features. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. Our intro, Klingon Battle, was written by Jerry Goldsmith, and our outro, Warp's Revenge, is by Arilla Voltaire. McCoy said, I borrowed Mr. Scott's backpipes. Kirk says, but you can't play them. And McCoy says, while I've got them, neither can he.